Hello, hello. I'm your host, Vipe Desai, and we're back once again for another episode of the Army of Game Changers podcast, the podcast where I get to ask some amazing folks to share their best career and leadership insights to help you on your professional journey. On this episode, I've got General Mark Hurtling, who shares lessons from his almost 40 years of serving in the military. General Hurtling's experience started at the U.S. Military Academy in 1975 and since then has seen him move up the ranks with service with intergovernmental and coalition initiatives, working with the executive and legislative brands of the U.S. government and many foreign nations. He also spent over 36 months in combat and commanded at every level from platoon to field army. His honors and recognitions are just incredible, and I'm so excited for you to hear our conversation. So let's jump into our chat. Good afternoon, General Hurtling. Thank you so much for joining me on the Army of Game Changers podcast. It's so great to have you on, and I know there is a lot of career and leadership insights you're going to be sharing with us, but Quickly, give us an update. What's going on in your world? What's new and exciting? Yeah, well, first, thanks thanks for having me, Vibe. It, it's it's uh, always an honor to, to talk about leadership, to talk about things that might help other people reflect on their own lives and their own careers, and hopefully we'll get to that today. Uh, but what's happening in my world after uh, – 40 years almost in, in the U.S. Army. I retired back in 2013 after commanding U.S. Army in Europe and, uh, and actually had a job offer from a very bizarre place, a healthcare organization uh, in Florida. And they wanted me to contribute to something they were calling global partnering, uh, going out and reaching out, bringing healthcare to other nations, and uh, at the same time, perhaps finding ways to bring better health care to the United States. This is a, a faith-based nonprofit that asked me to work for them. So over the last five-plus years, I've been working at that organization, and through a series of events that are too long to describe in a short podcast, uh, I, I made good friends with their chief medical officer, and he was telling me how they had been trying to find ways to uh, help their physicians become better leaders and he realized that after going out to other organizations and consulting firms, that here they had a guy who had been doing leadership for 40 years in their own organization, and he asked me if I could put something together. So way back in 2014, uh, I designed and am now executing a, a physician leader development course for, for healthcare leaders, and we're in the, the fifth year of that, and it's been catastrophically successful in our organization. It's helping to change culture and build teams. And since then, I've been asked to take it to a few other organizations, which I've been blessed to do over the years. Wrote a book about it and uh, recently uh, wrote a doctoral thesis on it and defended a thesis about how we can do better in healthcare by helping physicians be better leaders. So that's what's been going on in my life other than as you as you mentioned earlier in our private conversation, been doing quite a few things with with CNN uh, as their military analyst, uh, talking about the state of the world and the the, the situations that are uh, affecting our security around the globe, uh, as well as serving with some organizations that are uh, dealing with health and especially the health of our youth uh, as we first came to know each other through the President's Council way back in 20, 
uh, 15, I think it was. Um, so those those are the things that are keeping me busy. Plus five grandchildren, five grandsons that we love to go visit all the time. Wow. Well, so wow. much for well, retirement, so right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I, I think two things come to mind is that one is that, you know, retirement is probably out of reach for many people. Somebody always wants to pull you back in to work life, um, but that's always a good sign. And then I think the other thing that comes to mind, too, is that old saying that, you know, it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks, but clearly you are carving out a new career path for you as well. How's that transition been going? That's been a whole lot of fun. Um, it, it, it was actually uh, challenging. You know, after, after you serve 40 years in an organization, you're a little bit, you have some high anxiety about what might happen next. And my wife and I, as we were talking about what we would do next, and, you know, there's, there's quite a few job openings for retired generals in the defense industry, but I didn't want to do that. I, I wanted to make a clean break and do something different. And Luckily, this, this organization came along and offered me a job. And what's, what's been fascinating about that is I've been able to go from one profession, the profession of arms, uh, which has professional tenets and requirements and a values and an ethos and a service to the nation, to another one that's very similar, and that's the profession of healthcare, the profession of medicine. Um, different professional tenets, different values, different ethos, but still working with a group of people who believe in service to others. Um, and it's been fascinating to be able to uh, apply the thoughts and the learnings from one profession to another profession that, that may not be seeing itself very well. And, and that's always a requirement of a leader. The first requirement of a leader, actually, is to see yourself before you try and see the enemy and see the terrain, as Sun Tzu probably told us all in his doctoral notes. Uh, but seeing yourself is critically important, and, and sometimes it, it takes the help of others to see you and point out what you're doing to really uh, cause you to be more reflective in your leadership requirements. Yeah. No, I'm glad to hear that. Um, you know, so let's 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 jump into the career and leadership insights um, because I think it's going to lead back to what you were just talking about. Now, one thing that I saw in your biography is this service to your country more than 40 years in the, in military service. And I look at that and go, is that something that was ingrained within your family? Did other family members serve in the military or at what age at, at an early age, did you say that you wanted to serve in the military? How did that well, begin for yeah, you? It was actually, it was actually quite serendipitous. My, my dad, like all members of his generation served in world war two uh, for a sh very short period of time, but no, there was no uh, military custom or tradition within our family. Uh, truthfully, I, I, I came from a, uh, a, a low-income family, and it was a way to afford college. I had a great guidance counselor in high school who uh, suggested, because I couldn't afford to go to another university, and, and uh, the scholarship potential wasn't very high, uh, uh, suggested I go to West Point. And so I went off to the military academy, the first in uh, my family to actually make a career out of the military. And it was actually flying from St. Louis to New York to, uh, to report the first day of June, in June of 1971. 
was the first time I had ever left the city of St. Louis, the first time as an 18-year-old I'd ever been on an airplane. So back in 1971, it was a whole new adventure for me. I was just looking at it as an opportunity um, to get an education to do something different. And after spending a couple of years at the academy and, and, and seeing the service ethos that's a part of the military and also uh, meeting a whole bunch of wonderful people and, and having the opportunity to, to uh, cash in on a wanderlust of going around the world and seeing different things and learning about new cultures. Uh, I just thought what was going to be a five-year commitment and turned it into a 40-year a career. And going back to the point about never having left the city of St. Louis before joining the, going off and going to West Point, uh, since then, we counted it up the other night, and I think I've been to 119 different countries, uh, seen all different kinds of cultures, met great people from privates in the Army to kings and queens and presidents, and it's been just a great life. And I, I owe that, truthfully, to the U.S. Army. And the person that it's made me, uh, that, that it has helped me to become, is associated with the training that we receive in the military service and the leadership development that we undergo. Wow, yeah. I mean, over 40 years, I'm sure you have absorbed quite a bit of knowledge. So let's let's talk about some of those career lessons. What did you learn along the way over the last 40 years that you can pass on to my listeners? Any stories of where your career trajectory changed or was assisted or or anything like that? Oh, gosh, yeah. There, you know, first of all, you learn the basics. Uh, we learn the basics at the military academy. Soldiers learn the basics in basic training and are in ROTC uh, in a very sequential manner through the Army's leader development process. And it, they, they try and make it as easy as possible. I mean, there are, by my count, looking at Amazon, there's about 170,000 books on leadership on the market. But the Army's book on leadership is actually a field manual. And it's been tested and revised and built on over 200 years worth of experiences. And it has to do with how do you get people to do what the nation needs them to do in very chaotic and, and life-threatening situations. And that's really a leadership lab in and of itself. So as, as a young cadet at West Point, a young lieutenant, a young captain, there are a set of things that you're taught as part of your training uh, which go to the substance of what the Army calls be, know, and do. It's, it's how, who you are as, as a leader. You know, what is your character? Uh, what values do you hold? What, what things do you hold dear? What, how does your background and your culture play into the person that you are? And how do you continuously polish that person? Uh, what is your presence? Uh, that's another attribute that they focus on. In other words, how are you seen by other people? Um, is how you're seen equivalent to who you are. How do you make those two things come together? And then understanding that leaders are trusted uh, by their people, which come from a variety of places. It comes from the intellect you possess, the way you uh, see yourself and the way you deal with other people, your worldview, and how you constantly have to study the cultures that, you're, that surround you and that you're working with. Uh, so that Character, presence, and intellect are the three attributes of leadership that they teach you. 
And then they also teach you in the military the three competencies of building trust, which in incorporate a variety of things like proper communication, understanding, empathy, being humble when you deal with other people. So building trust is one. Helping others to develop, in other words, building the people who will someday take your place uh, is a requirement in the military. That's something I haven't seen as much in the private sector where a key requirement is to grow your replacement. Uh, that's that's a uh, that, that's a key driver in the military. It's not often seen in corporate America that I've observed. And then finally, the ability to take action and to drive your will to see things through to, to fruition, to completion. So leadership is is seems to be very simple in those in those three attributes and three competencies that the Army drives. But as you go through your career from well, my first job as a lieutenant was leading 19 tankers on the border between East and West Germany. And 40 years later, I was leading an organization of 60,000 in that same space in, in Europe, but responsible for not just the individuals that I personally supervised, but those that everyone supervised, as well as the engagement with the 49 countries that uh, are in Europe right now that were part of my what we call footprint in the military. Uh, so you grow in each assignment. The military forces on you the requirement to, to broaden your horizon, expand your vision, uh, learn more things, develop your intellect, because at each successive assignment from lieutenant to lieutenant general, there are all different kinds of increasingly complex and dynamic challenges that you face. Um, so, so yeah, I've, to, to go back to your original question, which I'm, I'm talking too much, but uh, your original question was, how do you learn? Well, you, you learn by doing, and you learn by, by really challenging yourself and having other people challenge you by putting you in, in uh, sequentially complex and, and demanding positions, which test your mettle and cause you to do more things. So at the very beginning, you're talking about direct relationships as a leader with one or two or three or four, in my case, 19 people in my first platoon, all the way to how do you strategically lead, manage, provide authority for, and, com and command, uh, in the case of a military, a group of 60,000 with a very complex mission and many contingencies across the continent of Europe. Yeah, those are, those yeah, are great those insights, are great. Uh, General Hartling. You know, one thing that a couple things come to mind. One is, you know, you're you're right in the sense that, you know, you've got this 200-year-old complex um, that has all this knowledge that just continually gets updated and passed through to the people who are serving. So there's this wealth of knowledge that can be gleaned upon. And I really like the other thing that you said, which was growing your replacement. I think those are things that are missing in the private sector, and you've, you've nailed, the, nailed it on the head with those uh, statements. Um, I don't see that in the private sector. I think it's a little bit of rat race, a little bit of dog-eat-dog -dog world, and I think there's so much that can be learned from the military style of leadership and developing leaders, don't you think? Uh, absolutely. One of the things that we're really driving in this physician leader course, uh, and it's been the first time our hospital has really, uh, uh, through 
an architecture try to develop it, and that is uh, ensuring that physicians and healthcare leaders, nurses, administrators have mentors. I mean, this this is a normal procedure in the military. I, you know, when I would when I said before that you always have to be focused on developing those who will take your place, there were people above me that did that for me. I mean, I can name the the ten or so mentors I had at different stages of my career who were always very concerned about my professional and personal development, and they spent a lot of time with me. And that's something in the army that that it just happens. Uh, some of it's done informally, some of it's done formally when you go to the schoolhouses and you, you learn new things, but there's, there's, there's always a demand for not just mentoring, which is one form of development, but you constantly are counsel on your performance, and sometimes that's a bad term to use in the private sector. When you say performance counseling around our hospital, uh, people think they're always in trouble, that they're going to get chewed out for something. But performance counseling can say, hey, here's where you're doing uh, really well and continue to polish that diamond, and here are some things that you might need to work out on in order to, to, to become a better professional. So that's performance counseling. And then there's teaching and training, which occurs when a brand new person enters the organization that sometimes is often ignored. Um, and, and then there's the coaching, which seems to be in the private sector, the catch-all. And coaching is only one form of leader development. Those other four that I mentioned are also critically important for developing young people to, to reach their full potential. Uh, we're trying to incorporate that in a healthcare environment, and we're, we're finding some great success, not only with things like um, physicians mentoring other physicians, but administrators mentoring physicians. And, and physicians coaching uh, administrators. And we even have a, a reverse mentoring program where we have assigned some young people uh, to some older folks to help them understand some complexities that they might not other get with, they, they might not otherwise get with a new generation of patients and family members. So, you know, it, it's a continual requirement to learn and grow, which is a, a key piece of being a leader. If, if, if you ever lose your humility and think you know everything as a leader, you might as well hang it up at that point. You, you, you constantly have to learn something new every day, grow in the way your professional uh, your profession requires it, and, and also spend some time in terms of personal reflection to see how you can become a better human being. Yeah, I think uh, that's something that a lot of people can use. And I, I think the other thing, too, General Hurtling, is that there's a template here that I think can be created to apply to other sectors beyond just the medical community. I think what you're right. talking about can be shared and taught because when I talk to young people who are entering the workforce or people who have been in positions for several years, I hear their frustration. And one of the things that I hear is how – one, they're not being mentored by their superiors. There's no opportunity being open to them. And I feel that that is something that is missing in the workforce. So I think what you're doing in the medical community can be replicated and templated to other sectors. So I hope that's something that, uh, you know, you might be able to explore down the line. Um, you know, let's talk about leadership now because one of the things that I've learned um, after doing my podcast and the folks that I've run with 
in, in the industries that I'm close to is that leadership can be a lonely place. And, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what advice would you give to other leaders who are trying to lead their companies either in good times or in times of struggle or also trying to find their purpose as a leader. What, what can you share on leadership? Yeah. The, the, you know, a word that comes out a lot in the private sector that I've noticed is networking. And that seems to be almost directed exclusively at finding new opportunities and new jobs and new people. But what, what I see networking as is, is something I learned, and it, and it gets increasingly more difficult as you rise within an organization. Um, but what, what becomes important is to find people of like minds that your ego doesn't get in the way and you can actually share things with one another. Uh, this is a this is a group of close friends who might be in the same profession or the same organization where you really say, hey, here's here's some things that I'm doing well and here's some things I'm not doing so well. How are you seeing this? So this is something that we've established again in our organization because as we as we do these physician leader courses, one of the things we're trying to do in an organization that has 11 hospitals around Orlando is we're, we're trying to get folks from the different hospitals to share and exchange ideas on what's going right for them and what challenges are they facing so that they can build teams that actually address issues. And that's a critically important part of leadership, of understanding other people, that, that you're never alone in trying to address challenges or complexities, that there's always someone out there who's trying to do the same things you're doing. And if you just share ideas, you'd be surprised at, at how many times you might be able to solve the problem. Um, but that becomes much tougher as you become, as an individual, uh, as you, let me just put it in my way, as you rise through the ranks. I mean, wh when I was a lieutenant in a battalion in Germany in, in 1976, you know, there were 30 other lieutenants, and we'd all get together for beer call on a Friday night, and we'd swap stories and tell, you know, things that were happening in, within our platoon and with our tanks and all that, and it was easy to share those kinds of examples. When, when I was a three-star general in commanding U.S. Army Europe, there was no peers there, so I was by myself. Uh, who, who are the people that I can turn to at that point to really talk about the complexities of dealing with the Croatians or the Serbians or how do we solve this problem with training uh, the Georgians down in Tbilisi or, hey, I'm about to have this engagement with the Russians. What, what have I learned or what have we as an organization learned or who can help me get through this because I know that I don't have all the answers. Every time you think about you know, being a CEO of an organization, which in effect I was as the commander of Army in Europe, you're really alone and you're making some tough calls and people are coming to you with a lot of problems that you don't know the solutions to. So one of the things you learn in leadership is you can't do this by yourself. There's no such thing as an individual who has all the answers or can solve all the problems. They, they really have to surround themselves with good and loyal and trustworthy people. And that just doesn't happen. You have to build trust through your own mannerisms and your own 
techniques as well as rely on other people to have those same kind of values that you can trust them for good advice. And that doesn't always mean, and in fact, most of the time it means they don't agree with you. Sometimes disagreement is the, the best loyalty, that if someone really gives you some uh, advice that might be contrary to what you believe, they're really, if they're truly a friend, they're really looking out for you and trying to help you grow and maybe see more sides of a story. I was given, uh, when I was a brigadier general, it, it was the first, a one-star general, it was the first time I served in the Pentagon. And I had an individual who knew that I was new to the world of politics in Washington, D.C., and I, I had to do some things working with people uh, in Congress and on the Hill. And this individual really gave me a, a series of things that I should question myself on. You know, do, do I encourage my peers uh, versus trying to find all the answers myself? Do I, do I have a well-tended and diverse set of advisors that I can test drive ideas on before I take it to the authority that approves it? Can I sometimes work on keeping my views to myself while I, I fully develop them? And do I know when to uh, distinguish and, and point something out uh, versus when I work an idea with people? Um, do I know how to explain people, how to explain to other people what's important to me in a way that's important to them? I mean, this is the upper levels of leadership um, that you, you can only gain through experience and understanding that you're going to sometimes have to work outside your comfort zone. And in order to do that, you have to trust other people. And the, the higher you go in rank or organizational title, the more humble and empathetic you have to be in order to really serve your organization. Yeah, and I think one thing as we talk about the private sector is that I think in the military, it, it obviously feels like the way that you're saying it is that this camaraderie and leadership is a team effort. But in the private sector, what I've heard is from leaders saying that it's hard for them to ask questions or discuss difficult issues because it comes across or they feel that it comes across as a sign of weakness from their leader when really yeah. it's not. And that, and that can be true sometimes, but I do want to go back to what you just said because if, if I'm painting a picture uh, that, that everyone trusts everyone within the Army and we all work together seamlessly as a team, Nothing could be further from the truth. There, there are a lot of egos in the senior ranks of the military, and there's a lot of tough competition in a hierarchical situation where promotion means you get to stay on longer. But you have to really, um, you do have to work as a team because you're in a, a transformational organization. What I mean by that is you, your, your mission is to serve the nation. Uh, it isn't you know, a, a transactional bottom line of who makes more money or who always gets the win. Uh, but you have to really work with teammates, sometimes who are your competitors, sometimes who are not your friends and uh, have personalities that you don't much like. But you still have to understand that the organization takes priority and upholding the Constitution and, and defending the nation is, is the critical mission that we have as the military. And that translates often, as I've learned in my recent studies in the business world, 
it can translate into different industries, into the service industry, the manufacturing industry, uh, the real estate industry, if you have the right kind of leaders who really put the organizational norms before the individual norms. Um, that's hard, but it does exist. Yeah, you're right. It, it, it's look. It's looking at it like you said. In the military, it's putting the nation first, and in the private sector, it's putting the others first. Whether it's your employees, whether it's your product, whether it's your service, or whether it's your customers, it's putting them uh, ahead of you. And if you do that, it seems like that is the right uh, path and mentality to be that that's the right state of mind to be in in, in leadership yeah I, I was fascinated uh, over the last couple of years in studying different organizations I was fascinated by the service industry writ large uh, because it does have a lot of correlation between what many uh, successful people are doing in the service industry to be successful with the same kind of things we do in the military to be successful it, it is uh, understanding the requirements and needs of your employees, but at the same time understanding that you are serving others. In our case, it was the people of the country. In the service industry, it's anyone who comes to Disney World or your restaurant or your hotel, and it's making sure that they realize they have to be treated well or they won't come back. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of similarities. It's, it's an interesting dynamic to translate what I learned in the military after several decades into the same kind of things that, that industry leaders are trying to do. Yeah. Well, General Hurtling, this has been fantastic. A great career in leadership insights. And as we discussed prior to us uh, hitting the record button, we could probably talk for hours on this. It sounds like you and I are both uh, passionate about this subject. Um, but this is great stuff. I appreciate you sharing your insights with uh, my listeners. If people want to follow you, where, where can they go for that? Well, I'm, I'm relatively limited, to be honest with you, Bye. I'm on Twitter, uh, at Mark Hurtling, simple as that. Uh, and I am on LinkedIn, but those are the only two social media sites I'm on. Not Instagram, not uh, Facebook for a variety of reasons. Um, but also, as, as I mentioned, the book that I've written, uh, you know, I never thought as a combat soldier that my first work would be, uh, my first book after retirement would be on physicians, but uh, the book I've written is called Growing Physician Leaders, and it has not only some tips on leadership and what we've done in the healthcare world, but it has, at the end of every chapter, a, another war story of something that I learned in combat or in peacetime that is transferable to the medical profession, because both of them <laughs> deal with chaos. And I've, I've been told that I should have never called this book Growing Physician Leaders because it's more of a leadership book than a physician leadership book. But uh, I, if anyone's interested, you can certainly get it on uh, Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Oh, that's great. I appreciate that. Well, General Hurtling, thank you again so much. It's been great having you on. And I look forward to following you on social media, the limited uh, platforms that you're on. But I will definitely pick up the book, and I look forward to seeing you um, on CNN with your pragmatic opinions and views and thinking. Thank you so much for your leadership and everything that you're doing for our country. All right. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. It's been a pleasure.
I really enjoyed this podcast with General Mark Hurtling, and I hope you did also. Clearly, the U.S. Army has a tried and true plan on how to develop leaders, and there's something here that those of us working and building brands in the civilian world can take away and utilize on how we grow leaders in our own organizations. I want to thank my team at HDX Mix for helping me put these podcasts together. And if you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to this podcast. I've had an amazing lineup of guests so far, and they've all shared career and leadership insights to help you on your professional and personal journey. I'm your host, Vipe Desai, and I hope you have a great week. I'll be back soon with another episode of the Army of Game Changers podcast.